All glory to God alone. Praise to the one who gave it all, King Jesus, King Jesus. Good morning, church family. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord, not just because we get to sing these awesome songs, exalting our King, or that we'll get to listen to Pastor Chad uh, divide the word of truth. Uh, but it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord because he's present here with us. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them, right? So the King is here with us, receiving our praise. As Jesus closed his earthly ministry, he gave his disciples the great commission and his last words here on earth were, behold, I am with you until the end of the age, right? I am with you, I will be with you, right? Those words have been a comfort to me at various times in my life. And as believers, we know that the Lord is with us always, right? His spirit has residence in us, right? So we're never alone, uh, no matter what we face. And I just wanna encourage you that as we continue to participate in our worship of the Lord, uh, do it like the King is here, right? Because he is. Listen actively because he has a word to say to you through our pastor. Um, so join me as I pray and we'll continue to worship our King. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that you have sent your spirit to be present with us and we don't have to face this life alone. Uh, perhaps Lord, that is the greatest spiritual blessing that you have given us because it cost you everything. Lord died on the cross uh, so that we could have a relationship with you, Lord. So let us experience your presence. Let us respond to your spirit with open hearts and open ears. We pray, Lord, that you would change us, make us more like you through your presence. We pray all of this in the name of your son and our savior, Jesus. Amen. Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, as we continue in this new series, right, just started last week. And I want you to remember as we think about Ephesians, what all we hope to glean from this book, certainly this book, uh, this letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus and the surrounding communities. And now some 2000 years later, it is for us. And it is a reminder, again, kind of of the, the fullness of the gospel. It reminds us about the church. It reminds us about the family. It reminds us about the battle that we face day after day after day. I hope that some, if not many, or even most of you accepted the challenge last week to read all of Ephesians in one sitting, right? It is a letter to be read like a letter. And so even as last week, we just studied the greeting, right? So I understand that when we come in here, it's a little bit harder for me to um, 
like for us to spend in one sitting all of uh, Ephesians. But what I want for you is to absorb it as all one letter. And so even though we will break it up over several weeks, for you, I, I hope that you will take it all in even at once. So, so if you didn't do that last week, this week, take that challenge. Sit down, read all of Ephesians in one sitting. If you did do it this last week, do it again. I don't know. I don't want to do it again. I don't, I don't like repetition. Well, that's ridiculous. So do it again and, and see, pay careful attention to what things you might have missed the first time, right? Read it again, maybe with, with fresh eyes. You've, you've read it once through, read it through again. I had uh, one who reached out and said, hey, uh, on Monday, like we did it. What now? And uh, I was so excited to hear that. Uh, and so I would say, as you're reading it, uh, do things like have a, have a pen out. If you, if you like writing in your Bible, uh, just underline words or phrases that, that jump out to you. Hopefully, as, as I preach, there will be pieces and parts that I kind of explain that I say, hey, I, I couldn't tell you all that I've underlined or circled or highlighted. Uh, I've got a lot in Ephesians that way, but there may be pieces and parts that I think could be particularly helpful for you. But see what you might have missed in the first round and, and try that again. This, this first chapter, chapter one, is really uniquely written. If, if you have a Bible that has the little subtitles in it, those are, those are like translator notes for us, basically. They're not in the original text. So, so at the very beginning, yours might say greeting, right? Uh, that's, a, that's a translator put that in. They also put spiritual blessings in Christ, right? So that's the, the next chunk. And then thanksgiving and prayer. So that's kind of how chapter one is broken up. We won't uh, study through the text exactly section by section, but we will do that in chapter one. Um, and part of that is actually because the way this chapter is mostly written out in the original language is actually, it reads a little bit more like three sentences. Like, that, those seem like some really long sentences. And, but just the way that the, the flow happens in the original language is very different than how we write in English. And so we covered that first sentence last week, verses one and two, uh, a greeting. Today, we will uh, look at verses 15 through, uh, uh, no, we will look at verses three through 14. And next week, we'll look at verses 15 through 23. So it's really kind of naturally broken up that way. So uh, that's the intent, and I would love for us to look at God's Word together in this way. So uh, follow along with me as we read from verse 3 and following. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, 
By the way, that would be one of those verses that you might underline. Verse, verse 7 is, is one of those. Verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I have two main points for today that I believe are found right out of the text. The first is this, God chose his people. I want you to think about particularly the Israelite people. So the, the Jewish nation were often described in the Old Testament as the chosen people of God. This was their, the description made of them. They were not chosen because they were something special, right? In fact, even thinking about Abraham, like he, he's supposed to be the father of many nations, the father, father of like many generations, and yet has no children. So he was not chosen because he already had this large family. He was not chosen because he uh, was great in his faith. He was, his faith was because he was chosen, right? So there's this picture of, of that kind of word. And so before you hit the panic button too much today, hearing me use a word like chosen and hearing a text say words like predestined and all that that can swirl in your mind potentially about arguments that might need to be raised or not. I want you to understand that God choosing his people is not only good for us, it's encouraging to us, right? I want you to think about this. For centuries, we said that the people of Israel were chosen, not because they were special, but because God wanted them to be his, to be set apart. In fact, to be, as the scripture says here, holy and blameless. And so as we consider this even with us, and what does this look like for us now as followers of Christ, which we'll see in just a minute, be encouraged that this was not because you were something special, but because God wanted you. So, so hear that today. If you have never accepted this truth, accepted the fact that there, Jesus is Lord, he is God of salvation, I want you to hear this. God is, is calling people to himself when he does that, it is because God loves you. God wants you. So maybe you feel unloved and unwanted, undesired, but hear this today. God loves you. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son. This is, this is a picture in that way. So, so let's think about this. Let's, let's look at what God choosing his people might look like according to this text. Not according to Chad, but according to God's holy word. God decrees. Look at verse 4. Right? It even uses that word chose. Right? Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In fact, if you, you don't have to turn there, but in chapter three, it kind of reiterates this and says that it was according to the eternal purpose that it, he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Isn't it amazing to consider that before time began, your life had eternal purpose? You, you had a reason to exist before you existed. Raise your hand if eternity is hard for you to grasp. All the rest of you are lying. Okay? It's hard. It's really hard. Uh, David even mentioned, like, our, our inheritance is waiting for us in heaven. And so, like, it's, it's hard for us to imagine forever future, right? Forever future, the, the, like all of the analogies that we try to think of still don't work, right? I've, I've heard the one where it's like an eagle flies down to the beach, grabs a grain of sand and takes it back to the top of the mountain and does that once a day, every day, and then takes them all from the top of the, when all of the sand is gone from the beach, he takes all of the sand back to the beach. And that's like a blink of an eye in eternity. That doesn't work because it's still finite, right? Like every, every analogy that we can come up with still is within the span of time, which is a thing that God created. Because here's, here's the thing. It's not, it's, it's not just that it's so hard to imagine forever in the future. It's impossible for us to grasp forever in the past. Right? We always go back to Genesis 1 in the beginning because there was a start right? There's a, there's a start to the, the earth and everything in it, like the universe. In fact, as created beings, we have tried to create a different form of creation. <clears throat> so it doesn't matter, like, I mean, it does, but, but we, people have been trying to figure out how things started for, since things started. But now imagine that there was a God who was here before things started. And that that God had something in mind for you before anything that he started, started. If this is making your brain hurt, Imagine studying it in my office <laughs> for hours on end. Just trying to like, how to, like, there's not even a way for, to communicate it as clearly as it can be before the foundation of the world. So he decrees, God, God made a plan 
It's the eternal purpose. Even in the book of Acts, it says that Jesus, right, the one who did come to die for us, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, right? He, he goes to the cross because that was the plan beforehand. You know, when Jesus came to the earth, you know why? He didn't just come to the earth to be born in a manger. He didn't just come to the earth to like, be left at the temple. He didn't just come to the earth in order to like, uh, walk on water, heal the sick, raise the dead. He, he came to the earth to die on the cross for your sin and for my sin. And yet, even in Acts 2, he, Peter is talking here and he says, Jesus was delivered up by the plan of God and you crucified and killed him. Lawless men killed him. That's us. Yes, someone actually put the nails in his hand. But this was all part of the plan. These kinds of words are hard for us, right? They, they cause us a little bit of discomfort at times. There's a tension in them. Words like foreknowledge, predestined, definite plan. But yet they're littered throughout all of Scripture. Romans 8, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. This is a part of who God is. We don't want to, we don't want to reject words in scripture because we're uncomfortable with them. We want to be really careful with that. Uh, just because something is uncomfortable doesn't mean it's untrue. But I want you to see this again. See these, these words as positive. That, that before there was anything, God had a plan for you. Not just a, a plan here on earth, but an eternal plan, an eternal purpose. And here's how some of that fleshes out. God decrees and God adopts. Look at verse 5. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. All right, hey kids, pay attention. I want you today to draw your family. Draw your family. Mom, dad, brother, sister. Like, you can draw aunts and uncles and cousins and you can draw grandparents, whoever you would like to draw, but draw your family. In my house, I don't know if you know my family, uh, but so we have recently in the last few months added a fourth child. And I was telling somebody yesterday, like the percentage of increase of crazy that happens when you add a child is not in direct proportion to the percentage of a person, right? So, so meaning like if you, if you add a third child, it's not like a 33% increase of crazy, right? And so when you add a fourth child, it's not like, oh, we added 20% more crazy. No, no, it's like a solid 60% more, <laughs> right? Like anybody, parents, yes, yes, this is how it works, right? You just you add more and you 
But, but our family, so thankful that, that our family uh, has increased literally by adoption. Um, we're so blessed in that. Uh, again, part of our story, we have two biological children and two adopted children. But as we'll see, even in, as I continue to lay this out, they're all our children. Not any less. It's not like, hey, which one of you, those are yours, all of them. They don't all look like me either. I don't know if you can tell, I'm not Chinese or Indian, okay? And so, but they're mine. They got my last name. And if you've met them, they're my fault, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, thank you for that. Uh, those of you who know them well, right? And, and so like this is nature versus nurture, nurture, okay? Uh, but but this, is, this is because they, I, I think adoption is one of the clearest pictures of the gospel. Now there is an abundance of pictures of the gospel that God has designed. We'll get to those later in Ephesians, but adoption is one of those. And so I, I want to, to help you see as, as this is laid out for us, some of the comparisons with earthly adoption and the gift of the gospel that is laid out. You know, a, adoption occurs in his timing. We've already seen this, right? Uh, he, he predestined for us or us for adoption. That was like according to his plan. You must have a desire to adopt before you begin. I don't know if you know how adoption works. You don't just like wake up one morning and have an extra kid at your house, right? Like you have to actually pursue that. You have to fill out paperwork. You got to do a bunch of things. In, in fact, you must have a plan for adoption before you start. You, you could just say, hey, I think we want to adopt. But, but you're going to have to do things like decide on an adoption agency. Think about if you want to adopt domestically or if you want to adopt through the foster care system, if you want to adopt uh, internationally. What country? How old are you? Are you old enough? Are you not? Are you too old? Do you make enough money? All of these things come into question. And so in verse five, when it says, uh, he, yeah, when he predestined us for adoption according to himself, like this is a, a plan. This is according to his purpose of his will. So just like we actually make a plan to adopt, you also must have the requirements for adoption. You know, they don't just let anybody, which is why it's sometimes surprising that let us do it twice. But, but according to verse 6, this is, this is related to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Grace, this gift, something that was given in him, we have redemption through his blood. You have to have certain requirements met. Well, the requirement that was met for the gospel adoption was the blood of Jesus Christ. It was spilled for us on the cross. Now, in earthly adoption, there are papers to file, classes to attend, books to read, papers to file, fingerprints, doctor's approval, psychological approval, papers to file, home studies, questions to answer, papers to file, <laughs> papers to file, right? It, it's a lot, right? And yet all it took for Jesus was his blood. 
That was his paper to file. Pour out his blood for your sin that you could be adopted into his family. When you set out to adopt, you must have the resolve to adopt before you end. Some of us, even in our faith family right now, are still in that weight. That weight can be hard. For us, we, we started the adoption process for Lottie, and 18 months later, we brought her home. For our fourth child, we started the process one way, uh, and some five years later, brought Zeke home. So it can take a long time. You've got to have resolve to adopt before you end. You've got to kind of stick with it. Verse 10, God, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, fullness of time and the patience of Christ. You know, you must also have the resources to adopt. Adoption is expensive in many cases, but you also have to have like a lawyer. You have to have someone to actually sign off, a, a doctor to sign off. You have to have a, a psychological exam and someone to actually sign off. So you have to have all of these sort of resources. And yet, again, what was needed? But the gracious blood of Jesus for our adoption. You really have to have love or it won't last. And what we see in God's before the foundation of the world, he chose us. So, so hear this. He didn't know you. Well, he knew you, but you didn't know him and yet he chose to love you. I think about this. Uh, for either one of our adopted children, they were really far away, right? Literally on the other side of the planet. I had a picture of them. That's always the thing, right? I'll send you a file. I'll say like, hey, will you consider this file? And they send you their picture. I'm like, that's my daughter. That's my son. And I can tell you, I'm going to do whatever it takes to go get them. Right? Once you realize that one's mine, so, so think of it that way, that God, before the foundation of the world, it's like he saw a picture of you. He said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to come get you. That's the, that's the picture of adoption. That's the picture of the gospel on display. That the Father in heaven looked down and said, I'm doing whatever it takes. I'm a, I'll, I'll, I'll file whatever papers. I'll spend whatever money. I'll spill whatever blood because I want you. I want you to have my name. I want you to have my inheritance. I want you with me forever. This like when I think about Lottie and Zeke, uh, 
they weren't able to, um, like, make like a bargaining chip with us. Like, hey, here's what we bring. Here's what we'll bring to you if you adopt us. They didn't like write us a letter and say, we're going to bring a lot of smiles. We will, we will be, make life better for you. We, no, no. Like Lottie was two. So her offering was like, just, she literally looked at me for the first two weeks of her life and said no in Mandarin. Like, I don't like you, no. Right? That's not what she says now, by the way. But now, they're just as Hunsberger as Abigail and Luke. And I don't have a lot to offer them for inheritance, but it's going to be split four ways. Right? Like they're, they're, they get whatever it is. And so here's, here's what's amazing is that that is what our Father in heaven offers to us. There's nothing different. You don't get something more because you were in it longer. You don't get something more because you gave more to the offering plate. You, we all get the same inheritance, the glorious gift of the, like, eternity with Christ. As heirs, we receive residence with the Father forever. And this is what it speaks of. when he, Not only does, does God decree and God adopt, but Christ then unites, Right? In him, we have redemption being bought back through his blood, the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. He brings us together and not just for a little while, but for all time. God God chose his people. And church, as followers of Christ, we are his people. I told you at the beginning that, and I had two points, God chose his people and the church, we are his people. I want you to, I want you to notice something. Remember at the beginning when I was talking about the Israelite people, how they were called the chosen people of God and that was their description. So now think about this as the, the writer of the book of Ephesians, Paul is a Jewish man writing to a group of people that are potentially even primarily not Jewish. So when Paul is writing these words in verses three and following, when he's using these words like we, our, and us, I'm going to read those. I want you to know that, that likely the listeners in Ephesus were not thinking that they were included in the we, our, and us because he's describing the chosen people of God. So surely he's describing the Jewish people, right? So hear it that way, that when, he, when he's saying we, our, us, you as the listener are hearing it as the chosen people of God, the Israelite nation. So hear it, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose 
us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with you. He has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So the plural nature of all of this, the original listeners might have even at this point, can you imagine them saying, I wish that was us. Oh, I wish I was in that us. I wish I had been a part of those first to believe. I wish that that I had been a part of the Israelite people who, who all of this was said about. They would have known that, that what Paul was talking about was the Jewish people. It was not a debated issue at all. Are we the chosen people of God? The the Israelite people, of of course we are. That's how we are described. That's, That's how the people of Israel would have said it. Did they do anything to earn such a title? Of course not. That is what makes them chosen. All they had to do is live it out in faith, right? That their obedience to the one who chose them there, they hold up their end of the covenant. That was the deal. Believe in faith, what is to come? But I want you to notice this. Verse 13 changes everything. So hear this as though you had just heard the previous several verses about the chosen people that you were not a part of. Now verse 13. In him you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. See, the Jews were chosen, adopted, blessed, purposeful, receiving inheritance, hopeful, redeemed, and forgiven. And now, verse 13, and I would argue this is now for the majority of us in this room, we are sealed, we are held, we are kept, we are brought into something even better. Like We get everything that they got. Verse 14 switches back, doesn't it? Look at verse 14. It goes back to we, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So here's the deal. All you Gentiles, we get all the same blessings. We get to be a part of all of the we, us, our, we get. So we are chosen, we are adopted, we are blessed, we are purposeful, we are receiving inheritance, we are hopeful, we are redeemed, we are forgiven. This is us as the church. This is what we get. And I want you to know that if you don't know this gift, that today can be the day you receive it. 
You, you didn't do enough to earn it. You can't give enough. You weren't special enough, pretty enough, smart enough, athletic enough, strong enough. But I can promise you this, his blood is enough. The blood of Jesus Christ spilled for you. So right, we, we as a church, we, we still ask those same questions. Are we the chosen people of God? Of course we are. That's how we're described. Did we do anything to earn such a title? Of course not. That's what makes us chosen. All we have to do is live out in faith our obedience to the one who chose us. Hold up our end of the covenant. Some of you, some of you here today, you have heard the word of truth. You've heard it. You've heard it in this pulpit. You've heard it in your life group. You've heard it from your parents or your grandparents. But you have not trusted in him. You have not believed in him. And therefore, you are not sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This is a gracious gift. Gracious, a gift that we don't deserve. But it is a gift offered to you. You know what you have to do? Take it. David said that Christmas is like around the corner, right? Sometimes people put Christmas presents from mom and dad or brothers and sisters right under the tree a few days beforehand. Kids go and you shake them. And you hope it's not breakable, right? But those, those, those gifts have names on them. To Chad from Gloria. You know, I could leave that gift there. It could stay there year round. I could never open that gift. That doesn't make it a very useful gift though for me, does it? You know, when the gift, when the gift like works, when I open it and I use it. So there's a gift before you today. It's got your name written all over it. The question is, are you gonna unwrap it? Today, would you choose to follow Jesus Christ? Would you choose to turn away from your sin and yourself and trust in Jesus? I pray that you would. Right, right where you are, you can call out to God. You can pray to him. But maybe you've got more questions and you wanna ask more of those. Right here to my left, we will have some people here that would love to talk to you more about that. If you are saved, I hope that today was an encouragement for you. It, was, it is for me to be reminded of what God did for me in choosing to adopt me and he, he looked at me and said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to come get that guy. What a gift. So as we respond this morning, I pray that you would respond in praise. You would look to the heavens and say, Lord, I need you.
I need you for salvation. I need you to give me the hope. I need you to, to provide for me in every sense of the word provision. I need you. So as we respond today, would you respond in whatever way the Lord is calling you? Would you stand with me as we sing?